Sobriety is scary. That's why Untapped Keg explores different perspectives of sobriety and mental health so that you know you are not alone. Hopefully, you can find something you can implement into your own life. Sobriety and mental health are topics that often are uncomfortable and complex. We do not shy away from any conversation. But you should know we try to be respectful. But there's always room to learn and grow. Everyone is welcome here, as you are, and you will be respected. We are not medical professionals and do not give medical advice. Please seek medical care if you need it. Now let's get to the show. Hey you, thanks for tapping into some Untapped CAG podcast where we talk about the different perspectives of sobriety and mental health, where we believe that the only way to sobriety is the way that works for you. I'm your host, RJ Zimmerman, and I have the pleasure today to be joined by my friend and brilliant mental health streamer over on twitch.tv slash mindset by Dave. You can find him on all social media platforms at mindset by Dave, all one word. You can find it in the show notes below and go to YouTube if you want to uh, dive a little bit deeper into some of the conversations that you'll find on his social media. How are you doing today, Dave? I am doing very well and obviously all the better for seeing you. <laughs> that's how that's how I feel whenever we talk. I've just <laughs> anytime I can tap into the uh Twitch stream when it's live or when we we're on the ADHD discussions, like it's just I am so much smarter listening to you <laughs> and Adam from up, up for the challenge. But the way that you have these metaphors that relate really complex subjects into simplistic terms. It uh, it helps me to grasp kind of uh, what's going on inside my own mind. So for those who don't know you, give us a little bit of a, an introduction quick into Mindset by Dave. A quick one. They're, they're really difficult. Um, right. I am a lived experience educator. So I am a mental health educator and I have lived experience with depression, anxiety. I have type 2 bipolar disorder. I am self-diagnosed with ADHD, but actually, the more I investigate it, it actually, that fits way more than the bipolar label even ever has. And uh, which the bipolar label was given to me, you know, professionally when I was 14. And I genuinely thought that I didn't have a voice. I genuinely thought that I had nothing to say. I genuinely thought that I would be no one when I was a kid. So much to my surprise that I now stand up in front of classes of children and I stand up in front of, well, I actually stand up in front of people who've got master's degrees in psychology and teach them from a lived experience perspective. And it's just wild. Like I don't, I, I know exactly how I got here because I remember the steps. And some of them were very quick and others were very long and arduous. Um, but yeah, to actually to go back to sort of 15-year-old me who was experiencing all of that stuff, the, the eating disorder, the, you know, all of that stuff, to go back to that person and say, you'd be here today. I think he'd think I was uh, more crazy than he believed himself to be at the time. It is interesting when we look back. And 
it doesn't even have to be that long ago and where we are now and how much has changed, but it's difficult to see in the moment because it's your everyday, right? And those little yeah. steps. And, but when you look back, like even a year ago, like that's when we met was almost a year ago, uh, probably a little bit more. That? Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I and feel like I've known you about two and a half years. It It does feel like it. Like this past year, I've, the amount that I've grown rivals my teenage years. Like it's, it's unreal when I look back at it, but it's like where I started even three years ago to where I am now is a completely different person. That's why I feel like I've known you for longer because you have grown more in that time than a normal <laughs> year. You've grown in dog years. <laughs> I, re I really have. It's like, <laughs> but it's funny because, uh, I've really focused on getting my mind right. And then, you know, last the end of summer, fall, started getting my body right. And now people are like, you look, there's no way you're 36, like going on 37. You look like you're still in your 20s. And I'm like, I appreciate it. But trust me, my body lets me know I'm in my <laughs> late 30s. <laughs> well, but, that makes you a youngster. You I know? mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it's all I'm old by any stretch of the imagination, because I feel younger now, but it is interesting how getting your mind right can lead to getting your body right. And it leads to this symbiosis that we tend to overlook. It's funny that you say it that way around because my journey started with getting my body right and then getting my mind right. In fact, if anything, the, the process of getting my body right it had some very, very positive temporary benefits on my mental health, but things like my eating disorder were made worse by getting involved in the fitness industry. Things like my body image actually got worse before it got better. I used to be, for the record, um, well, morbidly obese. I, I don't like those phrases. I don't use them anymore, but for the obviously to describe them to most people, that would understand. Uh, do you mind me using numbers on here? Because some people find that quite triggering. I actually know it in American, amazingly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm okay with uh, using numbers. So. so I was walking around at literally 300 pounds on the dot. Uh, I am six foot two, so I sort of got away with it. Mm -hmm. But... Um, and I actually went and, but I had an eating disorder. Like I had, I had what I knew, what I didn't know at the time was non-purge bulimia, but what it actually, what it was to me was binge eating disorder. And what I would do is I would have periods as a teenager where I would binge all the time. And then I would have, when people say purge bulimia, the, the people are more familiar with purge bulimia, where you, you know, you get the food out of your system one way or another. Whereas with non-purge bulimia, it's alternating periods of binging and restriction. And because I would, I'd restrict for like charity days and stuff. It's like 24 hours without food. Yeah, I can do that. And people didn't believe I could do it because I was, you know, such a big guy. So I, I, I kind of liked doing things that people didn't think I could do. The other one was stay quiet for 24 hours. That's easy. What they didn't know is I'd stay quiet for about five years at that point. But, but, um, <laughs> so and I, and then from that, I started kind of getting hooked every now and then on having these, restriction periods that would balance out and then when i was got involved in the fitness industry i started learning all about things like intermittent fasting and stuff and don't get me wrong i'm not here to to disparage any of those tools 
all of them are good tools in the right hands. They need to be in the hands of a person that is the way you've done it, really. Mind first, then body. But for me, all it meant was I just flipped the script on instead of being I would binge a lot and then restrict. I would restrict a lot and I would plan to binge. And within the fitness industry, it's very easy to hide that. In fact, not even hide it. You don't hide it. You hide it in plain sight. You call it a cheat day. You know, it's, and people actually applaud. You know, that, that was at the point where The Rock had just started doing, you know, showing his stacks of pancakes and all that stuff. So people would applaud that behavior in that situation. Oh, you're so good for being able to restrict. Well, if I'm choosing to restrict as and when, and it's a flexible thing and I control it, cool. I didn't. It controlled me. So my body image as well at that point, I, you know, I ended up dropping down. I can't remember what my lowest weight was in pounds, but it was about, well, I think it was 200 because, or 198 or something. I lost a third of my body weight basically. And at that point, whereas before with my body image, I'd look at it and say, okay, I'm a bit fat. I'm a bit big. That was it. I put myself down. I used to also hide it with humor. I had this t-shirt that said fat people are harder to kidnap. It's kind of true. I've never been kidnapped. So, <laughs> And I'd hide it with that kind of humor because that was my way of defending myself. You know, if I make a joke of it first, then there's no sting in it when other people do. But then when I was in the best shape of my life, suddenly was noticing absolutely everything. I was like, I don't like this bit of fat that's left here. I don't like this loose skin that's over there. I don't like the fact that my left tricep is leaner than my right tricep. You know, like the, um, the level of detail that I started going in to pick on my own body and the things that I didn't like, like I became obsessed and I, I don't use the word lightly. I became obsessed with trying to grow my rear delt muscles, the back of my shoulder, only to find out that mine genetically just sit a little bit lower. And the whole time I thought they were tiny, they were just huge. They just happened to be part of my back. And then, and then basically the part that I was trying to grow, there's not even any, there's no muscle there genetically where I'm trying to get to like avoid. So that was uh, the interesting way around for me is the fact that after all that, I'm like, you know what? I've, tr I didn't love me at this weight. I thought I'll love myself when I get to here, and actually I didn't. Now what? And that was where the kind of the mental aspect of it. But one thing that did tie over was things like the dedication, was things like taking a habit that went from zero proficiency to very proficient. You know, that has really tied over and allowed me to, along the way, apply the same mentality to things like self-acceptance. If... I can't talk to myself nice on the first go. That makes sense because I couldn't squat on the first go either. You say to someone, be kind to yourself, talk to yourself nicely. Talk to yourself like you'd, you'd want over someone else to. And they go, I can't. They've had 20, 30, 40 years of practice of talking to themselves like crap. And now when they try and talk to themselves well for the first time, it doesn't feel natural at least because of the journey I'd already been on at that point. When that happened, I was like, okay, this is a skill just like anything else. So I'm not good at it now, but I'm going to put the work in and I'm going to get good at it. And I'd like to say that I talk to myself pretty nice most of the time. I still have a brain that's got a bit of a demon in there. But, uh, <laughs> but most of the time I do it now, but it wasn't easy at first. There's seven questions you didn't answer all. You didn't ask all answered. I don't know where that came from. That was, uh, <laughs> that was, it, it was amazing. There were like four different things to, that I want to touch on in there. But like <laughs> the one where you ended as somebody who is 
recently, like really like a year ago, like really started to focus on my self-loathing. Like I identified it luckily Mm -hmm. through thinking about my kids and realizing how that has carried through my entire life. And knowing that my neutral is in reverse, like really far in reverse. So I need to get myself back to neutral, Mm -hmm. like self-love, fuck that. Like I'm still not in a place where I can do that. Right. Like, so I just want to get to okay, being okay with myself. So instead of looking in the mirror and thinking, you know, what a piece of shit and like literally having a physical, like pulling back, it was small. Most people probably couldn't see it, but I realized it just standing there and saying, you're okay. Like was a good start. And now I can look in the mirror and I don't have to say you're okay. It is the first thing that comes to my mind is you're okay. But I'm not at like, boy, you know, (laughs) you're, I, I love you like things like that. But there are things like understanding my worth now where I didn't before. And you think you get to this goal mentally, physically, financially, career wise that are going to make you feel like you deserved it. And it's just constantly, Oh, I'm supposed to get that. Oh, there's nothing here. Oh, what's next. And you don't realize what that hole is inside of you. And it really is that self-acceptance that is easy to talk about. It's hard to get to, but you just got to figure out where your starting point is. Yeah. I mean, what's harder than getting to self-acceptance is not getting to self-acceptance. You've got to just choose which version of hard you want. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's something I call slingshots and boomerangs. I would show you my slingshot and boomerang, but I pack them because I have to go and give a talk in person for the first time in a long time tomorrow. So no, not tomorrow, Wednesday. So I packed them. Normally I have a slingshot and a boomerang right here. But the idea of a boomerang is all of our bad behaviors are what I call boomerangs. Bad behaviors or negative behaviors as then commonly reframed as. And the irony of all this is I came up with this theory whilst drunk in a pool in Mexico. Um, don't, let that, <laughs> don't let that sway it. It's, it's, it's standing up still five years later. But the idea of the concept that behind every behavior is a positive intent so like i've interviewed you so behind that behavior what was the positive intent? that no joking obviously it was i wanted to talk to you but i remember you talking about how for you in the early stages of your drinking you know you were applauded by was it your dad and his work colleagues the other people on the electrical lineman did i get this right absolutely right Nailed yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> i promise i haven't rewatched the episode just to kind of brush up on it but um back then you were kind of seen as a the young legend to these older guys and that was really good for your self-esteem at the time or well it was a boomerang for your self-esteem at the time right because it give you that self-esteem in the short term because that self-esteem was always just coming from other people's approval just like the alcohol helps you crave more alcohol the approval helps you crave more approval because you can't give yourself what the approval does yet so yeah, like, I don't know how I got onto this now. I've got, my brain's gone onto a little bit of a side note. But the point being is that these behaviors, I call them boomerangs. 
because they generally give you and take away the same thing. It's not always the same thing, but like, let's just look at the fact that I needed a coffee before I came on here. I needed a coffee before I came on here because I couldn't sleep very well last night because I was still playing chess until very early in the morning. And then I was still playing chess in my head when to stop playing chess because I'm obsessed. I have obsession cycles. I, as I say, the ADHD fits. Hyperfixation. I mean, we've all been there. I will have forgotten that <laughs> I ADHD. I yeah. yeah, I will have moved <laughs> on to something completely different in six months. Um, but right now it's chess. And I was up late doing that. And, they need, and then in order to get a, a, a gym session in before the school run this morning, I had to be in the gym for six o'clock. So I was, you know, up until like one-ish <laughs> and then up again at six to go to the gym and, you know, pounded some caffeine to go and do that. And I tried, to, and then my plan was because of all that, I thought I'm going to go the rest of the day without caffeine so I can sleep better tonight. But I was crashing half an hour ago and I went at a cold shower because I thought that wakes me up without caffeine. It wasn't enough today. Now, here's the thing. I will reach that caffeine and most people will reach for that caffeine to say, okay, I need some energy, right? And I'm using giant big bunny ears, air quotes for energy. Caffeine doesn't give you energy. It gives you the illusion of energy. It makes like a credit card of energy. It makes you think you've got energy that you then spend. And then two things happen. One, you you crash. But number two is the caffeine stays in your system. Like it's 4 p.m. here in the UK. So I have to cut off caffeine at that point because it's got this six hour half life, which means if I have it any later than this, it's still going to be there ticking away when I try and sleep later. And you end up on this cycle of the fact that you have the coffee and it helps you get through that bit in the afternoon. But then you have like a bit of a crash later on in terms of your energy levels. But then your alertness and your ability to fall asleep gets ruined that night, which means you get poorer quality sleep, which means the next day you want more caffeine. And it's learning that, okay, I've got a kind of that positive intent that I need, which is what the boomerang's after, is I need to figure out a different way to get that. I need to find a because the positive intent is okay. Your need for acceptance and inclusion in that group is okay. Your need for self, you know, your need for self-esteem is okay. It's nothing wrong with that. It's a survival technique to be part of the group. But your what was happening in your situation was what I describe as the difference between fitting in and belonging. Belonging is you're part of the group for who you are, you're accepted as who you are, whereas fitting in is you change something about yourself that you don't want to be doing in order to fake belong in the group. But in reality, you just think, well, if I stop doing what they want me to do, I'm going to be out. So yeah, again, I've just done I'm, the ADHD is strong this afternoon. I apologize Listen, if, my, if all of my answers seem to be going in these weird. <laughs> it, it makes, it makes sense. And it's it, the thing that I like is how you relate it to different things so that it can cross over. Right. And really like yeah like that was the self-esteem that i was looking for the you know that adhd masking like now we're gonna be talking like adhd most of the episode but like i was diagnosed three years ago and i'm still learning new things about adhd that i'm like this applies to my life throughout it yeah so now that i know that and i can understand that i can understand and see things um, to maybe counteract them, maybe accept them, maybe change how my environment is to better fit how my brain works. Um, and like masking is massive 
in ADHD and how you will try to fit in instead of belong. And I, mm-hmm. it's funny you said that because I literally saw Brene Brown talking about that difference this weekend. And it was the first time I'd heard somebody talking about it. Maybe not the first time I heard it, but it was, uh, it just clicked. I was in the right space that I could remember it. And I was like, oh, wow, that is uh, me. Huh. Interesting. It's many of us. us. Right. (laughs) But when you have these, like these definitions and things that you can relate to places that have a through line and you start to look at yourself, you're not so hard on yourself anymore. Yeah. And that is a great start to self-acceptance. Yeah. And in, by me not beating myself up too much about the tangent, I, I've now remembered where it came from and where it was going. Because the opposite to a boomerang is a slingshot. Um, a boomerang goes forward only to come back. A slingshot goes back to go forward. Most of Ooh. our so-called good habits, they take effort first. They are difficult at first. They don't give us an immediate result. You go to the gym and, okay, sometimes now if you've de- once you've developed a sort of liking for the gym you might be excited to go there the first few times you're like i can't really be bothered doing this like and you don't get the results until maybe the end of a session sometimes even later than that sometimes it's you know sometimes you get okay a little bit of a a lift at the end of a session after and and other times it's like okay well you're not getting any results until a few weeks later where you start seeing some progress in numbers it's down to whatever actually you know floats your boat so a lot of people give up on good habits because they don't get it on the first go. Now, I think, again, this is one of those things that hyperfixations help me out with because when I don't get something on the first go, it's not that difficult for me to persevere. It's actually almost more difficult for me not to persevere at the beginning. My issue is when I get to a plateau, (laughs) it's like, and then the dopamine's not coming in thick and fast. I'm not getting the same level of rewards. I'm not hitting new milestones regularly. That's where my issue is, where it feels like I'm never getting any better because obviously to get to each and every plateau is further and farther apart and each plateau is longer. So I think that's that did me a lot of favors, but I remember sometimes for me it wasn't not wanting to start things in case it's difficult for me it was i don't want to start things in case i don't finish them now here's the question currently with chess what does finished mean do i have to become a grandmaster i mean hopefully that'd be cool it's like (laughs) with the guitar do i have to be like a you know a shredder like with with i'm learning russian because my my wife is latvian but she speaks more russian than she speaks latvian so I'm learning Russian so I can communicate with her family. Her family always speaks to me in Latvian. It's so much fun. <laughs> she was like, learn Russian. There's much more resources and more people speak it. So I put like a couple of years into learning Russian, speak to her family, and they just giggle at me and talk to me in Latvian. It's delightful. Um, but <laughs> again, what does finished with Russian mean? Like my wife speaks fluent english so we don't have a problem we don't but now she doesn't have as many english words as i do for two reasons one because she's not lived here her entire life and not i've never studied the language exactly as much but i've just been around a lot more words and incorporated them into my vocabulary and the second thing being because i'm a massive nerd but still her english is fine for basically everything i've not found and i wasn't even i was going to say 99 percent. i haven't found an exception yet 
it's occasionally says she puts a the in where they're not supposed to be or leaves them out and it's kind of cute but other than that it's like there's no problem so has she completed english well it depends on whose definition have i completed russian well i'm nowhere near as far through russian as she is with english but still i can say a bunch of things so i think with again within adhd that's a huge thing the whole expression of jack of all trades is a master of none you know i'm sure adam must have finished that sentence for you at some point in this podcast Actually, I knew it before he even said it. So like, ah. you know, and that's, that's, uh, but a jack of all trades is better than a master of one. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that is huge. Yeah. You're absolutely yeah, it's, right. it's massively huge. And they kept that bit from us. Right. Because they wanted to keep us small, RJ. <laughs> and that is facts. Facts. <laughs> like, absolutely. That's, it's, it's easy to grasp, right? The jack of all trades and why maybe somebody wanted to go to the master of, you know, master of one kind of a thing. But all of a sudden, you know, where we are now with all this information available, really understanding that life isn't about the future, like in your sixties, because, uh, guess what? Especially men, we are honestly, we have a very good chance not making it to 60. I know way too many people who were a year less from retirement who passed at retirement or just after. Mm. And it's like, that's an eye opener. I'm saving all this money to live when I'm 60. What's my body going to be like? Cause I'm 35 right now and my shoulders hurt every day. My hips, I can barely, you know, pick my, boot up to uh step over ropes or whatever they ask us to do for functional movement screens uh sometimes it hurts to put my socks on like and i'm not even joking that's where i was uh, a little bit over a year ago and it's like what am i doing (laughs) (laughs) something needs to change here but that impetus being where i was especially like before I started my sobriety and then last year when I really started, this change started coming in, I knew a change was needed in my life. I wasn't quite sure what it needed to be, but I needed to learn and do something. Mm -hmm. All these people are saying these similar things. Maybe I should learn about that. See where it goes. Yeah. It's, um, it's a it's a fine balance, isn't it? Because there's a it's also sort of reminds me of a Ricky Gervais joke where he was talking about his doctor saying if you do this, this, and this, you'll live for an extra 20 years. And he's like, Yeah, but it's the last 20 years, isn't it? <laughs> it's like and um the thing is that, yeah, okay, you might not make it to 60, you might do, but at the end of the day, also you don't know what condition you're going to be in in that in that stage. Now we we advocate for taking as good care as yourself as possible, but yeah, like my dad didn't even make it to fifty, so there's a little part of that. I'm in my forties now, so there's a little bit of that in the very little back of my brain that every now and then pipes up and is like, mm, you might outlive your dad in the next eight years, which is weird. Um, but yeah, it's like okay. The big question is, and I, I'm facing this with my mum right now. My mum's 70 or 70, yeah, 70 she was uh, just last year. And she's not looked after herself at all. 
and she's in a state where she's got COPD, she's got diabetes, smokes like a trooper, drinks like a fish, you know, doesn't really eat very well. And um, yeah, she's it's it's not a great kind of way to be. And I often wonder whether we have too much emphasis on giving people years in their life and not enough emphasis on giving people life in their years. So, yeah, I think that you have to prepare for being able to, you know, financially look after yourself in retirement should you be one of those people. My mum will probably be one of those people that makes it to 100 despite all the medical odds. You know, it's, it's <laughs> you meet them. They're usually the ones that don't stop smoking and don't stop drinking and, there's, you know, but um, but yeah, you have to kind of make sure you're financially capable of living to a ripe old age. But like thinking, saving the big vacations and things like that for then, it's like do them while you while your body's able to enjoy it. You know, get out and if you want to go and see Rome, like doing that while you're still able to walk around the entire city, like in an afternoon rome's quite small like it's like it's, it's it's possible to kind of me and my wife went a few years back and i went we went out for a run in the morning and without we even go breaking a 5k i think we saw um all the major attractions and it's like and that was cool we did it like first thing while no one else was up and you know you kind of see a completely different side of the city but yeah do those things whilst you're young now it's fine in that sweet spot between some people are like live for today live as if you'll die tomorrow and it's like okay cool i've just sold the house and spent all the money on i don't know marshmallows <laughs> don't ask me why delicious yeah they are delicious i'm being full like a top tier hedonist here but there's there's fine in that balance between those two things and that is i think the trick is finding that balance and you have this amazing amazing video um that like has still stuck with me and i credit you every single time i say it um but it's the harmony right like when we're searching for that balance we think too much in terms of 50 50 really balancing and really we want to find the harmony and it'll feel good to ourselves and where that is right yeah and I just, I thought it was beautiful and real in the fact that, yeah, you are going to have to work a lot, but you also need to, let's say, plan for the future or, you know, you want to give somebody all this time, but you need to take some time for yourself too. And where are you putting, you know, all of your energy and everything? Is it because 50, 50 may not be it's probably more than likely is not going to be the sweet spot of where you need to be in any of your um relationships with yeah. people friends you know uh romantic parents whatever there's just it's not feasible to think that it can be there's another video of mine which i don't think you'll have seen because it's old and um, it talks about balance and rather than it being like a set of, you know, those the old school, like judicial weighing scales where like where, you know, you've got to, to keep them balanced. It's about constantly adding the same amount, little increments to each side in order to keep them balanced. 
I talk about it and I'll do the English version and the American word second. Um, the English for word being a seesaw and American word being the teeter-totter. It's it's about that's what a balance is really like, is the fact that if you think about people on, and I'm going to carry on using seesaw because teeter-totter just sounds wrong in my voice. So, well, I mean, it think, depends on where you are in the America because there we call it a seesaw. I called it a seesaw a lot of the time growing up, okay. seesaw or teeter-totter. You know, all right. the t- yeah, and we call you well. Although you probably got the better word for it, you call it a jungle gym, and we call it a climbing frame. Yeah, which is one of those wo- which you've got like the nice, cool brand word for it. Actually, I suppose ours is all is very ours is very kind of functional, isn't it? A climbing frame, a seesaw, but then we call it a pavement, and you call it a sidewalk because you walk on the side. But anyway, this isn't about <laughs> American and English grammar. <laughs> this is this is about seesaws and balance. So if you think about when someone when people are on a seesaw, if two people would just sit on a seesaw and then keep the balance perfectly still, they both get bored. Now, if one of them goes to the extreme and stays there, sat at the bottom, or one sat at the top, you get bored. It's not about it's about moving between those extremes and maybe not quite extremes because a lot of people especially you know us us neurodivergence we tend to go with the all or nothing mindset but it's that you have periods of push and periods of pull in your life so people who try and keep everything at this perfect level all the time they try and balance their work and family they'll probably never really progress with their work or never really progress with their family. It's about having that understanding and communicating it. Like, you know, my wife, for example, she was on a management course all last week. And so that involved her being away from home for a whole week, which turned out to be bliss. But the less we talk about that, the better. (laughs) (laughs) My head, my brain is just so much quiet. She wasn't here and the kids weren't here until the weekend either. So it was like, (laughs) my brain was so free last week. It was unreal. But um, but still, like, if let's say she needed to go and do a two-month course, like, and it would really help progress her with her career, I would 100% totally understand that. I would back her on that. I'd support her on that. And because I'd know that it's a temporary thing that's going to give her long-term benefits and what she'd have to do in that period is that a bit of a pullback in terms of family and a bit of a push in terms of career. Had she have just said, oh, well, I'll tell you what, what I'll do is I'll do... And, you know, I'll I'll spend a couple of hours with the family in the evening and I'll spend a couple of hours working on this course. Then what I, yeah, she may have got to the same result in five years time, but then that's five years, less years of enjoying the benefits of it. And again, that goes into the previous point we were making that that's delaying that there. So I think there is, there's elements for, there's elements of push and there's elements of pull. And if we stop thinking of it in terms of creating this perfect balance and trying to create this fluid balance where balance is achieved on a long arc rather than on a day-to-day basis, or, you know, again, it's different from person to person, but I think it's a much more, it's a much more realistic, but it's also a much more kind of successful, practical application of balance. And I like that too, the, you know, fluidity of it and the explanations, because as we're finding out about a lot in our life, right? It's a, it is about being adaptable and understanding that life is fluid. Something that you're doing a lot last month, you're not gonna be able to do a lot this month. And 
So how can you um, counteract that or give yourself the grace that you just can't right now, but you can make time for it coming up, right? Yeah. And I've really found that this year, like since January 1st of the cycles and really trying to break these cycles that have been um, toxic in my life as it, you know, they've been, they've dragged me down. They're cycles that haven't worked for me. And now that I can see them, I can pick myself up. I can, you know, help myself get to a better place that I can be more productive, that I can enjoy the life that I'm creating and create a life that I want to be present in. Um, but that, that involves me making adjustments and seeing these, uh, giving myself grace that this month I've been, you know, more sad than I was earlier in the year. Well, why is that? There's a hell of a lot of stuff going on in my life, you know, whether it's from a divorce that do I really want it if I'm being honest and deep down? No, but is it better for me? Yes, because rather than be with somebody who doesn't want to be with me, I need to be with myself and be okay with it. That change has to happen. That doesn't mean that I'm happy with it. That means that sometimes I'm sad and I can't just push that sadness away. doesn't mean I have to feel it right now. It means I can push it away till at nighttime, right? Or <laughs> in the morning time, like I can give my, create spaces for myself to be able to feel it. Yeah. And I don't have to be a drag to everybody else or even as a parent. I got a three and a five-year-old. I can't be, you know, moping around all day as a single parent to them. That's... A, I don't want them to see their, their primary male role model that that's how I'm living life and that's what you have to do. Like, I want them to experience life with me. Mm-hmm. And so like the fluidity of having these really great periods of, you know, I went on a trip to Brazil for a week. I, I've, and it, it was great and it was amazing. And then these low periods of, I feel abandoned and alone and isolated. And when I take a step back, like seeing that I'm feeling that being like, okay, but is that true? Mm -hmm. Looking around. Okay. There are a lot of people who would be there for me, but that doesn't mean that my feelings, uh, I invalidate my feelings. I don't, I accept them, feel them when I can. And then let's figure out a way that I can, uh, you know, reset myself. That included, you know, the story that I told you earlier in the week about, or last week about uh, taking myself out on a date, like just being with myself and being top of mind of enjoying my presence. It didn't start off like I was going to do that, but then I was like, you know what? I'm doing it. Let's do it. It's like, it's, enjoying your own company is another it's a skill again it's it's a skill that a lot of us don't learn yeah and i was guilty of that until i was about 24 i basically went from i was kind of like my mum's best friend um you still like to think that i am one of her i'm one of her best friends but i was from the age of roughly about 11 10 11 maybe my granddad died when we were 10 my nan moved in with us but my nan was looking after me so she'd go out with her friends like quite a lot in the evening and my mum me and my mum kind of grew really close through that 
my brother was out all the time and one because we grew up in quite a lot of poverty once once my mum got to a point where she could afford to take me on holiday it was just me and her like my brother had the opportunity of a free holiday but he was you know 16 and busy getting high <laughs> and, um, and so I would go on holidays with my mum and basically was her travel companion and then literally that carried on until I was in college and I, I met my first wife the mother of my kids and I started seeing her just after my 17th birthday got engaged to her at the same year got him got married to her shortly after my 20th birthday and then we proceeded over the next couple of years to pop out a couple of kids and then at 24 I had a full-on quarter-life crisis and destroyed all of that and <laughs> destroyed myself in the process and for the first time in my I'm not even going to say adult life I think that for the first time in my life I was kind of in a house on my own and I hated it at first I utterly hated it I filled every moment of silence I had music playing literally the second I walked in through the door I would have music on and that was it I and then the thing an interesting thing happened is at first I hated my own company then I grew to be okay with it then I grew to like it and then I grew to depend on it if I don't get my own company now if I am surrounded by people all the time, I am the center hub of a family now, which means because I've got two kids from my first marriage and um, there's my mom, my wife, my two kids. And literally the way it is within my family is if any of them have a problem, I'm the person they come to. They wouldn't, none of them would go to the other one. The kids don't go to the grandma. My wife definitely doesn't go to the kids. Some she might she might go to my mum, but not if she's got a problem. More often than not, alone is more likely to go and like fix a problem than than to report a problem. But they all come to me, and usually um, in quick tandem with one another. And there's a thing that by the time I've dealt with one for a problem from every single one of them, whoever happens to be last is probably not going to get the best version of me. And they'll be like, oh, that was a bit of an overreaction or whatever. Or, you know, you say no to me. It's like, no, I'm not saying no to you. I'm saying no to another thing. And they don't really get it. So now if I don't get that time to myself whatsoever, I feel bent out and I feel exhausted. But it comes back to a few things that you said, really, in terms of the balance that we talked about before. I, my 2023 so far, started off with me being in a bad state with half of the four of them, you know, and what had actually happened in that is I'd started, I'd been given far too much energy to my job and, and to my identity around being that central hub of feeling like even when one of them's not coming to me, I'd feel like it's going to happen soon. So I'd be prepared for it and I'd be constantly considering other people's, things that by the time they actually did come to me they were getting the drags the, like the the like the last bit of the tank of me and it was um that was what my relationship with my own dad had been like he basically didn't have time for me did, uh, outright ignored me in a lot of cases i mean literally not like as in made a joke in a game out of ignoring me that was fun times and it was like i so i was in a really bad state earlier in the year so i went back to therapy myself and within that, within the first week of that therapy, I started realizing that I actually don't have to spend all the energy that I'm spending. I don't have to spend energy 
wondering when someone's going to come and ask me to do something. Even if it does happen all the time and it's inevitable, the gaps between that, I don't have to think about it. You know, you don't think about your next in-breath while you're having your out-breath unless you're focusing on breathing at that exact moment. You don't, you're not thinking about like, if, if you try and deal with everything that's coming all at once, you're not capable of doing it. Am I capable of doing one thing? Yeah. But in my brain was like worrying about that. And I also, as you, as you're part of that community and you'll know, I manage a community of a mental health community online, which I have no idea who, how many, how many people are in it. The numbers vary between some if, um, total Twitch followers, 3000, but that's ridiculous. Discord members, 200 and something, but I'd say active in the stream, 30 to 40 most streams, but it's not always the same 30 to 40. So let's say it's 100 people or 60 people or whatever. But still, that always usually comes in um, in dribs and drabs as well. Like, Sorry, no, in feast or famine, because I'll have weeks where no one in that community seems to ask anything. And I'll have a day where it seems that. I mean, one of my moderators, um, Adj, would basically say that that's Jupiter and Mercury and Gatorade or whatever they say, but, um, <laughs> but it all it all tends to happen at the same time. And when that does happen, uh, you know, overwhelm can set in. But again, I spend time and energy thinking, what if that happens? And it's the stuff that I teach people about anxiety. Like I, but I needed my own shit put in front of me to see, oh, yeah, I do that thing that I've been helping other such and such about. I do that thing that I've helped helping such and such. And, and um, anyway, the relationships in the family are absolutely fantastic now. Like all of it, it's all great. Relationship with the wife's fantastic. Relationship with my eldest, who was, it was where the, a lot of the struggle was. It's better than it's ever been, I'd say, because I'm probably spent, in fact, I'm probably spending the same amount of energy now, but it feels like I'm spending a lot less. And I'm spending that energy on the things that matter, like playing chess with him or like going for a walk with him. In fact, that's where my chess obsessions come from because he got better than me in the last few years. So obviously, as any good father slash male role model would do, <laughs> when your son gets good at something, you have to train and destroy him. Um like, Listen, my son's five and thinks he's really fast. So I beat him in a race this weekend. So I understand. <laughs> I am semi-joking, but totally not joking at the same time. But at the same time, he's oh, he's something else. His you and and I thank you for all the nice things you've said about the way my mind works. I think if he applies it, his is a if he applies whatever he applies it to, I think his is his is frighteningly, it's like the best bits of mine, but faster. I think it's got the worst bits in the mind as well. I think the self-loathing and the beating up comes in there. So I'm trying to um I'm trying to convey to him because the word potential's always been a bit of a double-edged sword to me. You know, oh what oh, imagine because yeah. imagine what would happen if you could work like this all the time, or imagine if you applied yourself even more, you're really good at this and all the rest of it. And I'm like, okay, none of that. People said that stuff to me when I was a kid, and it just put expectations on me. And um, but it also meant that I was deprived of any additional help because people thought I don't need help. And in certain things I do, you know, I was good at some things and wasn't, I was not so good at others, but people assumed that intelligence was a one that, you know, was across the board. If you're great at maths, then you must be great at absolutely everything new, no, not yet anyway. <laughs> and um, so I'm, my current process is trying to find a new way 
to convey that message to him without having the without him thinking for one minute that I won't love him all the same no matter what. Like I I want it for him because I know but well I know that that potential's there. But at the same time, I don't want him to think that he has to earn like my love, my attention, my affection, anything like that ever. But he does have to earn beating me at chess. But he did win <laughs> yesterday, so he won because I was ahead and I got cocky. <laughs> ah, dang it. I hate it when that happens. That Taurus in the hair comes back, right? Mm. Ever so slightly. And that's, you know, that's the part of being raised as, you know, a man or um, with that kind of mindset that you've had to be, you've been put in your place for really all time. And then let's say, cause like you, like I was smart and I was taught to internalize everything. So everybody thought that I was good and I never needed help, but I was, I still have been right. Struggling, but you, mm-hmm. you create that stone facade. So brilliantly and you polish it so well that even at your worst people are like well he's still in control he knows what's going on like there's nothing wrong at Mm. all and when you're put in your place for so long too it's like and i'm not i'm not saying like you know chess that's that's different (laughs) right but like in life you always think like well this is what i deserve i deserve the negativity because there's not that place where it stops, where you don't cultivate that. Um, you are good at that and you should be good at that and trying to give them the recognition that they, they seek because we, we still seek it. We just don't admit that that is what we're seeking that validation. Mm -hmm. Even when we say we don't need anybody to validate us, it sure feels nice when we do get it. It feels lovely. (laughs) And, So trying to find that harmony there too, that push and pull where you can find it. And this actually goes back ADHD to something I wanted to talk about from your story earlier, where how much we deflect with humor, especially mentally. And how we can take that now, take it back and use it for good. But how much we really do hide behind that smile and the laughter and jadedness yeah Yeah. so just like with masking which you brought up before i see those things as tools and kind of like how i said before about intermittent fasting like i said by the way all of my adhd i used to think of it as like my brain was like a shotgun um and all the skin it just scattered everywhere one of my friends pointed out a few years back that it's always got a connection somewhere. So I then started referring to my brain as a spider's web. So there's a lot of little satellite points, but they're all connected and tied up. So like we were talking about with masking and like I talked about with intermittent fasting and all that stuff. And I said, I said something along the lines of they are tools and in the hands of the right person, in the hands of someone who understands those tools, they're very effective. Just like, I mean, social media, we could talk on that for about another four hours. That is a tool, right? And Mm -hmm. if you use it well, 
a, t- a hammer can be used to build a barn. A hammer can be used to break a window. It's you know it's there's, it's all about how you use it. So masking. I, for example, last year I my sister's wedding, and my my youngest of my sisters, and I was depressed AF on the day of her wedding, and I went to that wedding. And I put the biggest of masks on, the biggest of grins, a really nice blue jacket, by the way. Um, <laughs> nice pair of brown brogues. You know, it, it's, it helps. And I did all of that. And I came home and I felt really good about myself for the fact that I didn't let my depression show there. And similar to what you were saying before about, you know, you don't want your kids to see that. You need to create a space for this. I'd argue that there is a space for your kids to see some of it because by them seeing some of it in you, they would see that it's okay for them and that their value is not linked to their utility. Um, But but ultimately, it's about using it, that tool. Now, masking when when you're a kid and you've got no choice but to mask, but to fit in where you are forced to wear the mask is very different than being an adult and choicefully wearing the mask. Your own choice, your own agency in the process, it makes the difference. I am using this. It is not using me. So that's kind of, that is how I see masking. And what was the, what was the actual fair point that we brought around to here from this conversation? Yeah. From? was using their humor to hide. Oh, humor. Um, Thank you. Thank yeah, you. To hide. Our I should make, no, I should make notes <laughs> and humor again. So using it often we, we use humor. Like as I, as I talked about with the fat people, the hardest kidnapping, I was using humor as a prophylactic method there. It was like a preventative. It stops that person from, from being able to hurt me. And it yep. sort of, it pretty much worked, if I'm perfectly honest. Okay, my body image wasn't exactly great, but at the same time, I don't feel like by saying that as a joke to a person is the same as sit there at home going, you're fat, you're so fat. You're so, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not the same thing. So it it kept me out of trouble. It kept me, it kept me, fro- in fact, most people wouldn't even bother insulting me if, they, if they've if they already done that, you know? So using that as a tool now, it comes back to again what you were saying before is it, there has to be a space for us to be open and candid with our emotions. So if you're not being open and candid with your emotions somewhere, then that's an issue. At the same time, I don't think we should have to be a hundred percent of the time. And this is one of the things that when people first realize that they can be vulnerable and they can be open it does tend to lead to a massive overcorrect. We're back on the seesaw again, you know. The the, the swing comes all the way back the Mm -hmm. other way. And it leads to a person that's such a liberating feeling. People are like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I opened up and these people accepted me. I'm going to be honest about how I'm feeling 100% of the time from now on. And I think people stay in that for a while. And then it maybe actually some people just stay in that. <laughs> but then I think it, I think the correction has to fix itself again somewhere. The fact that actually it's okay sometimes to to not be like that. You know, like random stranger on the street says, you know, good morning. And you reply, what's good about it if you're having a bad day yourself? It's like <laughs> there's there's a lot of talk within the mental health space online. And I think, I think there's something deeper going on and it's not going on. I'm not going to be conspiracy theory on all this, but I think there's, 
I think depression is very good at sustaining itself. I think poor mental health as let's just say mental health conditions were characters in all of this, right? They are working for their own preservation. Your depression, if you're depressed, it's working for your own preservation. That's why it's going to say things that keep you depressed. It's why it's going to make you pay attention to things that are happening in the world that on a normal day you wouldn't look at twice. That's that's the whole thing. It changes the focus. It's it's a lawyer for its own case. You know, it's like, here's why you should be depressed. Anxiety is the same. It's a lawyer for its case. Here's all the reasons why you should be anxious. And I actually think that, like, for example, toxic positivity. I talk about toxic positivity a lot. And most of the conversation about toxic positivity online is not very nuanced. It's an overcorrection again. It's like, okay, we're now, we don't like positivity. We're going to stop all of it. And instead, you know, that's why my community has the phrase appropriate vibes only. And appropriate vibes only means if someone's coming in and they're feeling sad, it's okay for that person to feel sad. But at the same time, just as I'm not going to let one person in my community tell that person to cheer up, if someone else comes in and celebrates something and another person in that community, and this has actually happened recently, says, oh, it must be nice to be able to do that. I've not got any of that. I'm going to tell that person too. It's like not toxic positivity, toxic negativity. They both they do both certainly exist, but most of the conversation around them isn't accurate. It's either labeling all negativity is bad, which is what the rah-rah um, <laughs> positivity posse do, yeah. or labeling all positivity is bad, which is what the mental health community do a lot, some of the mental health community. And the issue there is the fact that what happens then, it's like, okay, well, positivity itself becomes a a, a, a taboo topic. It gets pushed to one side. And it's an, again, positivity is a tool. Does smiling more make people feel better? Actually, yes, it does. Does standing in a power pose make people feel better? Yes. Does perspective make people feel better? Now, perspective is not the same as comparison. If you say, oh, well, your problem's not as big as such and such is, like, oh, yeah, you you know, you know, can't be unhappy. There's, there's starving kids in Africa, right? If you say that to someone else, that's comparison. If you say it to yourself, you know what? I'm in a really good position compared to a lot of people in this world, and I feel good about it. That's perspective. It's an okay tool as long as you use it. but. And I know I'm doing it again. I'm I'm just thoughts are just coming and I'm letting whatever comes just blur. And I appreciate that because all of them have been great thoughts. I just <laughs> want to say that. And that's not toxic positivity. Like you're relating all of these and like connecting the spider webs. Like, well, this this line. is how my brain works. Yeah. And um, my therapist's having fun making uh, making I, sense. I wonder if you and I just connect so well because our brains work so similarly. <laughs> like we both have the spider webs. Like, no, I get it. I get the connection. <laughs> dearest audience i hope some of you get the connection too um just know that i'm trying to and every few, few seconds my brain tells me this would be valuable for this audience member this will be valuable for this audience member and then i spout it i've forgotten what that tangent was though so but we were talking about toxic positivity weren't we and the idea of um uh oh yeah it being a tool i've done it i've yep. reconnected that's two times i've reconnected that doesn't happen very often you know sometimes once that train's gone that train's gone is um Oh, oh, yeah. So I say negativity comes natural, but positivity takes practice, right? Is the fact that that a lot of times what you'll find is that you can, if you're in a negative headspace, I call this the shrinking middle class of positivity or of motivation. If you're in an unmotivated headspace, 
motivation or tools, most of them are going to make you feel worse. And if you're in a very highly motivated headspace, motivational tools, most of them are going to give you that extra 2%. Motivation doesn't work on the people who need it the most. It's a very sad situation. Because here's the thing. If you're in a negative situation, people say, oh, well, don't compare to, to anyone who's in a better position than you because it'll make you feel jealous. Don't, and then within the mental health situation, we're told don't compare to someone who's in a worse situation with you than you because if you compare to them, you'll feel guilty for the fact that you're feeling bad. This is only if you're in a negative headspace. If you're already in a negative headspace, comparing to like, let's say you're in a negative headspace and you want to, you're thinking about playing the guitar, right? And then you open up like a Joe Satriani or a Steve Vai video or something, or Polyphia are the ones at the minute to watch, by the way, Tim Henson from Polyphia, from amazing. Anyway, you watch one of those videos. If you're in a negative headspace, you're going to be, I'm never playing the guitar ever again. Put it down. What's the point? If I can't get from, I'm never going to get from where I am to where that person is. That's the point. If you then compare to, um, so then you'll then you go and see some young kid who's just learning to play for the first time, but has had the the decent, not the decency, but the the chutzpah to put a video up on YouTube and be like, "Hey, I'm just learning." But here you go, and they're getting loads of comments. If you're in that negative headspace, you'll look at that and go, "That person's terrible," and I'm better than they are, and I'm not getting the attention that they're getting, and you'll have that. Now, a person in the positive headspace, to start off with, this isn't about what the material does to you. This is about what you do to the material. A person in, the, in a positive headspace will look at that kid who's put it up and be like, go ahead, kids, getting started. Get, that first step is so hard, and I'm, so, you know, I'm proud of you. Might even put a comment on there to try and help raise the, the person up. And then they'll go and watch like the greatest guitarist in the world and be like, look, I might never be that way, but it shows what's possible with a bit of dedication. And that's an inspiration to me. So it's not about whether the material is inspiring to us. It's about whether we're inspired by it. And that, by the way, is what I go into whenever I'm thinking of how to write my stuff, because I call it bridging the gap. The idea isn't, the idea is here. I, I want to get a person to hear, and the person is currently here for the people who are on audio only. Obviously, I'm putting one hand high and the other one low. <laughs> I want to get a person from A to B. Could have just done it like that, couldn't I? And they're at A. I want to get them to B. And I, I, I can't speak to them how I'd speak to a person that's already at B. Can't. But they won't, they won't get it. Like... And this is true whether it comes to helping a person from within the mental health community to level up a little bit. And it's especially true when it comes to helping a person outside of the mental health community understand the way that people within the mental health community think. So I can't tell them how we think. I can tell them how they think and how something we think is close to that. So I can, I, that's what, that's why analogies are my thing. I, it's the only real way to bridge the gap. I need to give you something that you are related to. For example, and I nearly use Usain Bolt as my um, as my example for the trying to get to a certain place, but I, I must have known that I was going to use him again a few minutes later. The greatest analogy I've got for depression so far. I tried one saying it's like life with extra gravity. It's like, you know, it's harder to do absolutely everything. No one understood that. Because none of us have experienced more gravity than what nobody's seen Dragon Ball Z when well, Goku's yeah, I, traveling I dynamic. I literally referred <laughs> to Goku in the gravity chamber in the video I did for that. Um, 
but yes come on where my nerds at right like (laughs) yeah i know i mean because i'm on twitch i thought there'd be a few of them but it turns out that no that (laughs) that that video flopped um so i really i I got something i got something a little bit more famous than goku and well maybe outside of japan a little bit more famous than goku and i went for usain bolt and we see it as impressive when usain bolt does his 100 meters in the world's fastest time right and not a single person on earth would expect him to hit that same time if we were to put him on an incline. If we were to put him on a 10% incline, we'd, we'd automatically expect it to take longer and we'd be okay with that. And that is what life is like living with depression. You're trying to do all the same things that everybody else is doing and you're on an incline. It takes longer. It might take you much longer to get out of bed, but it's still as impressive. It might, In fact, if anything, it's more impressive because you've actually worked against higher odds to get somewhere where you've got to. I'll breathe now. (laughs) You know, that's like, so speaking with metaphors and analogies, that's also, that's an ADHD trait. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't. I've just always done it. But yeah, I, that's what I've always it's like. Done I've too. always had ADHD. I've actually had to tell my. Uh, I asked a friend one time, "Do you do you think that I'm like always trying to one up you? Because I'm just trying to tell you that I relate to you and I understand. Like that's why I say these stories. Like I don't think they're better than your story or anything. And he's like, some. I used to think that you were one upping me, and then I realized because I saw it in your eyes that you were just trying to tell me that you understand and that's how you tell people. And it's like, Mm -hmm. that's the same, but I talk through metaphors as well. Like, and that's where I think creativity is like when I define creativity, it's not necessarily artistically. It's not necessarily, you know, they can draw really well. They can do, it's taking these complex terms and boiling them down into simplistic things or, two seemingly unrelated topics and being able to find how they connect. And that creativity really opens people's minds to finding what it is that they're really curious about. Right. And finding that curiosity. You know, what we should do is we should, uh, you should come back on my stream and we should have chat. And basically we start, we'll have, we'll have a connection off where basically chat have to give us two topics and then you have to be like, you know, like how it used to be like, yes, I often find that smoking a brisket is very much like making love to a beautiful woman. You have to, and then you have to make the link to it. It's like, I imagine that'd be quite fun. Like, you know, it's like, okay, so RJ's categories are dentistry and crocheting. (laughs) Um, Actually, both involve sort of hooks. And needles anyway but, um, <laughs> but like you get given two random topics and it's like you've got to relate those two things and i'm in <laughs> i'm in let's go let's build the bridge <laughs> let's build the bridge and like that's where it starts though and that is where i find how you talk about mental health like so easy to grasp it's like an incredible entry point but you get these really deep concepts too off of that. Like, and that's, I really appreciate that about you. And, you know, it's helped me to really explore different parts of myself too. And the appropriate vibes only like, you know, I use that one a lot too, because it's so, it's true. It is so true. And uh, the moment that I heard you say it, it was like, 
damn, like, you know, negativity isn't negative necessarily Mm -hmm. until you take it to a point where it draws you down completely. Right. And even then, if you're just stuck there and you can't do anything else, that's when it really gets quote unquote bad. But yeah, but I I mean, I often say as well that everything I say is just some, like I'll usually find something from like, it's usually the opposite way around in terms. It's not like something I've read and therefore I adapt it. It's the other way around. I'm like, damn it. That thing's what I've been talking about. And I was only reading that whole appropriate vibes only. It's been on our, it's been our um, motto for, years i've got pictures of me in a t-shirt with it on from from years back and it was in response to positive vibes only mm-hmm. and i was reading um, michael Scher's book how to be perfect last year and that was my first proper entry into philosophy and i'll get it it's it's either socrates or aristotle but talked about the means and um, the the virtues and the means and the virtues things were like temperance and anger were both virtues and the mean is the or mildness and anger, might it might have been. But the mean is the balance, again, or the harmony between those two things. And if a person is too mild, then they they are dispassionate about things like injustice. And so it, like anger actually does have a place. We wouldn't mm-hmm. have the emotion if it didn't have a place. Anxiety's purpose is to keep us safe. That's its purpose or help us prepare. It's it's supposed to keep us safe or help us be ready. The problem is when it becomes disordered, it keeps us too safe and makes us unprepared for anything or it makes us panic instead of prepare. But the same is if you had absolutely no fear, people would do all sorts of silly things. So it's good to have a healthy amount of fear. It's good to have a healthy amount of anger. You should be angry when social injustice is happening. You know, it's like... If you're not, you're too passive in that situation. It's like, oh well, well you're not. You know, that's that, that might be. You might have a peaceful existence for yourself, but but at the same time, let's take that the other way. And I work with a lot of advocates that I kind of try and say to them, look, are you fighting too hard? <laughs> it's like, and that's like might seem like an unwe- unreasonable concept as well. But if a person fights too hard, and in particular, the problem a lot of my advocate friends have is they fight every fight every fight i do choose my battles and this might seem like a what's the word over justification for the reason that i do that but the reason is i want to be fresh when i fight i want to be capable when i fight i don't want my attention to be distracted and um fragmented so much that i when i'm trying to advocate for mental health i have the same issue that i had with my son because my attention was too fragmented that i couldn't even play a game of chess with him without being impatient and wanting to just go and sit on my phone you know it's like that i want to be that present person when i'm in each of those things and i want to do well and i have some phenomenal advocates as friends i they do amazing work but they i mean i'm not saying i don't burn out either but they burn out all the time and then by not taking a day off here and there, they're taking weeks, months. In fact, there's one that's not even that that's taken about 18 months off so far from from their advocacy work and just which is fine. Like, and but the interesting thing is at the time, I remember having a conversation. In fact, actually, it might be longer because this particular this particular person I'm thinking of right now was stopped about six months into COVID. So that's like two years now, basically. Yeah. 
that they've not advocated for uh, or done that advocacy work for. And um, yeah, it was like, I remember at the time having a conversation with them and saying, like, they were getting much more heavily involved in all of the arguments around COVID. And, you know, there was, <laughs> and getting, and and fighting all of the, the the vax anti-vax the mask anti-mask all of that fighting every single one of those fights now i mm-hmm. had opinions on all of those and i stated my opinions on all of those but i didn't fight either of any of those because i was busy fighting for people's mental health at that point and mm-hmm. actually i'm concerned with the mental health of people that have the opposing opinions to me too so and now again i'm not sitting here and saying i did it right but i think that that allows us having that mean and finding that balance allows us to be more effective yeah and that is a great spot to you know kind of wrap up like that's finding that balance in life is so important whether that is you know the harmony whether that is going extreme to extreme to you know finding that middle ground and understanding that you might go to extremes sometimes based on you know, where your how your mind operates. That's okay. And just giving yourself the grace to be. So, you know, again, like I'm I'm joined by Dave, uh, mindset by Dave. Check him out if you want to be part of the conversation now, twitch.tv slash mindset by Dave. And if you want to get into deeper conversations, check out youtube.com slash mindset by Dave. Those links will be in the description below. Um, Dave. What's your social media that you really want to push for people to follow? I mean, I'm I'm mindset by Dave everywhere except for Facebook because they hacked me and now I don't trust them. I mean, I should have <laughs> not trusted them before that, but um, I I interact on Twitter quite a lot. Um, if you're into video content, I post the same short video to Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. Like I post two shorts pretty much every day. And it's the same two shorts on all four platforms. So you don't have to follow me on all of them. Follow me on with the one that you prefer to use. But I do uh, tend to get back to comments. I tend to get back to replies and all of that stuff. Is I don't really do direct advice in DMs just because it can get very long-winded and it can get very, very time-consuming. And also... So, you know, sometimes it can be like, okay, if I, if I think I'll just give a quick bit of advice here, it can, it can end up being like actually hours of my time over time. And yeah. um, I will pass on resources in those situations. Um, but, and also if anyone else does podcasts and things, I like, I absolutely love doing this. I love talking about this stuff. You will get um, these weird spider web answers that, that RJ's just got, but I'm always up for that. And yeah, wherever you prefer to contact me, just do that. Oh, I'm I'm excited that you love doing this because that means you're coming back very soon. So, and that'll be an exciting episode <laughs> too, where we this all day. <laughs> wind and <laughs> yeah, have some yeah, fun. We we might need to plan that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that this one went really well. Like like I said, everything connected, um, at least for us with ADHD, they can <laughs> see that through line. And, you know, I just, I really hope that people go and follow you because you really are helping to normalize the conversation in a healthy way. Um, and that it also includes something that you said yesterday may not be the way that 
you know, you're going to say it today because something about it, our knowledge around it, your opinion on it may has changed and give yourself the opportunity to make that change. That's yep. the same thing that I try to do too. So, um, you know, go find untapped keg on Instagram. I've been posting a lot of stuff there and interacting. So Instagram untapped keg, one word, um, and then leave a re- uh, five-star review on your <laughs> podcast platform of choice, because we haven't gotten a lot and that actually does help us be found. Um, so let's try to be better tomorrow than we were today. Cause at least we don't make it. We tried have a great week, everybody. I love you.